Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not, because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Ben. Can we give it for Reuben? Yeah, so Reuben read from Luke 19, probably a pretty familiar passage to us. And uh, in a moment here, I'm going to chat a little bit about that. But before I do that, um, I want to tell you a story about a very memorable date that I went on a little while ago. Actually, it was quite a while ago, but I'm going to retell it. And I've shared the story with some of you before, but um, way, way back in the day, uh, my wife and I, like, we love to go on dates. And there just happened to be this one moment that we had where um, we were invited to go to a fundraiser. And, and this fundraiser was for this great local cause here in Kansas City. And, and the, one, the coolest part of this fundraiser, at least what got me all geeked up, and forgive my dress, I really, I, forgive me, I, I don't have a Chiefs jersey, so can everyone just shun me right now, just shake your head, just be like, good, oh. good job, Nate. Dalvin Cook doesn't even wear 33 anymore. I mean, it's like not even, uh, it's just, anyways. Anyways, back to the date. So my wife and I, my wife and I, we, um, we went on this date, but it was like, it was, it was a, for me personally, like a next level date. Not that all dates aren't really special and awesome uh, with your significant other, but this one for me particular, I was super geeked up about. Because at this date, on this date, we were actually going down to the plaza to this really beautiful restaurant. And um, instead of the normal wait staff waiting on us at this restaurant, it was actually the Chiefs players that were the wait staff at this restaurant. Yes, Tori, the Chiefs players. Okay? And, and not, not only were the Chiefs players going to be our waiters, but they also, it, it was also in the era of Marcus Allen. Do you guys remember Marcus Allen? Okay, for anyone, you know, yes, exactly, okay? Marcus Allen, for anyone that doesn't know, Marcus Allen's one of the greatest football players of all time. No exaggeration. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Like, he is uber popular back in the era that he was with the Chiefs. He was like the Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs. And so anyways, rumors were that Marcus was actually going to show up and be a waiter at this gathering. And so we arrive at the venue. We're all dressed up. We're having a great time. We're just loving life. And, and we're seeing all these different Chiefs players show up. And they, they, they start working their way around to different tables. And, and as they're taking orders, there's this like kind of buzz that kind of starts going around the restaurant because Marcus Allen has arrived, right? Like Marcus is the I mean, imagine if you were in a restaurant and, and Patrick Mahomes shows up, like there's going to be a little bit of buzz. There's going to be some talk. People are going to kind of get really excited. Well, anyways, that's kind of what was going on here. And, and so, so Marcus starts working his way through. And as he works his way through, he eventually gets to the table that Kirsten and I are sitting at. And he walks up to us. And, and he introduces himself, which is kind of funny, um, you know, but, uh, and we introduce ourselves to him. And then we start making small talk. Like he, he takes our order, 
but then he starts like talking to us. And we weren't actually initiating the conversation, he was. And we were talking and talking and talking. And it got to the point where like literally people had to walk over to him, like I don't know who it was, but somebody had to walk over and say, hey Marcus, you need to move on to someone else now. Okay, like it was a little bit awkward. And so Marcus moves on to someone else, and, and like we, you know, we got our food, and we're eating our food, and a few minutes later, I look over my shoulder, and there's Marcus again. And he's back, and he starts talking to us again. I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. He starts talking to us again, and we start talking and talking and talking. Now, if you've met my wife, dude, listen, my wife is beautiful, so maybe, like, I don't know, uh, maybe that's the reason why, I don't know, but like, like, we start having more small talk, and again, somebody has to come over, and they say, Marcus, you need to move on. And so, so he moves on, and, and, and as the night goes on, we find ourselves in a different part of the restaurant, and Marcus comes up to us again, third time. We're like, this is crazy. Like, what in the world is going on? Um, and, and we start talking a little bit more, and then he, like, waves at this guy, and this guy comes walking over, and it's, it's like Marcus's personal photographer, Okay, so for all you Zoomers out there and, and, and younger millennials, like back in the day, they, you didn't have phones that took pictures, you actually had cameras, okay? And he had, he had like this little, he had this guy that was like his personal photographer that followed him everywhere, traveled with him, went everywhere. And Marcus says, hey, um, I don't remember the guy's name, but hey, can you take my picture with these guys? Like, what? Like, we're supposed to be asking you for the picture. And it's just, again, just more awkwardness, but awesomeness, too, at the same time. And, and like, Marcus, we get our picture with him. And then Marcus, like, leaves, and the photographer comes up to us, and he's like, who are you guys? Like, who are you? Like, I've never met you before. But who? And I'm like, I don't, I'm just Nate. I'm a youth pastor at Hillcrest Covenant Church, and my wife is, you know, like, like we just, like, I don't know. We're just normal people. He's like, I've never seen him do that for anyone ever. And then as we're leaving again, another Marcus moment, he comes walking up to us and he pulls us aside and he says, hey, Nate and Kirsten, now, now we're on first name basis, okay? So he's like, hey, Nate and Kirsten, I got a question for you. Um, I have like, and he kind of like gets a little humble and he's like, I have this show that I do every week. It's called the Marcus Allen Show. He's like, do you guys think you'd want to come this Wednesday and be my personal guest? <laughs> like, like, no, I got youth group. I can't be there, man. You know? No, I actually, I, I, I was like, all right, yeah, I'm skipping youth group. And so we went, and we literally went. We were actually able to be Marcus's personal guest at his show. And again, to this day, I have no idea why he was so kind to us. But you know what I do now? I know how I felt in that moment. I know how I felt in that moment. I know how Kirsten felt in that moment. We felt like we were seen. We felt like we were known. And in a weird, creepy way, we felt like Marcus loved us just a little bit more because of the relationship that we were building. And it was so cool. And, and it, it actually kind of flows with um, the passage that Reuben read for us this morning about the story of Zacchaeus, pretty famous passage in Scripture where we have this man, you know, his name's Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus, um, you know, not that Kirsten and I had bad reputations, but Zacchaeus had a really, really bad reputation. And he was known for doing all the wrong things. He never could do anything right because he was a tax collector. And that is until he met Jesus. Until Zacchaeus met Jesus, his whole life was turned around. But before he met Jesus, he was just this horribly terrible man who made all sorts of bad decisions. 
And in a moment, what I want to do is I want to talk about a little bit more about the story of Zacchaeus with us. Um, because the question that we want to answer this morning, if you're going to walk out of here with anything, I want us all to key in on this one question. And the question is this, what would happen if we started seeing people the way Jesus sees them? What would happen in 2023 if you and I started seeing people the way Jesus sees them? And I'm asking that question because what I love about the story of Zacchaeus is that Zacchaeus to Jesus was not this horrible, terrible person that made all these wrong decisions. Zacchaeus was this person that was made in the image of God. And he was this person that when Jesus had this encounter with him, it changed everything about who he was. And I'm convinced that that happened because of the way Jesus saw Zacchaeus. And I believe that every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room, has people in our life that are like Zacchaeus. They might not be tax collectors, but there are people in all of our lives that we need to see the way Jesus sees them. And I believe that if you and I can put ourselves in a posture where we can see people in the way Jesus sees them, God is going to use us to do powerful things, not because of anything we can do, but because of what he can do. You see, when Jesus had this encounter with Jesus, right, it says in the text that Reuben read that Jesus and his disciples were walking through Jericho. Jericho was a super popular city. It's famous in the Old Testament. Um, There's wonderful palaces, beautiful palaces there. Actually, King Herod, his palace was there. It says that as, as Jesus was walking through Jericho, he wasn't going to Jericho to spend time there. He was walking through there. And as he was walking through there, all these people start surrounding Jesus, which you see oftentimes in Scripture, right? But as these people are surrounding Jesus, so Zacchaeus shows up on the scene. And again, Zacchaeus was not well-liked. Actually, it would be very fair to say that Zacchaeus was hated. People hated Zacchaeus. They wanted nothing to do with him because as a tax collector, what Zacchaeus would do is he would go and he was seen as a traitor because he worked for the Romans, he didn't work for, he wasn't a Jew, he was a Jew, but he sold himself out to work for the Romans. And he would go and he would collect taxes for the evil empire, the Romans. And then he would add more onto the taxes so he could make money himself. He was actually the chief tax collector, so not only would he add money onto himself, but he would also take money from other tax collectors to make even more money. So nobody liked Zacchaeus. And in the text, as Jesus is walking through, it says what? Zacchaeus was a what? Like when we were children, we sang Zacchaeus was a, a wee little man was he, right? Like he was short. Like he, he kind of had little man syndrome, I would say, okay? Like he was a short little man, and he couldn't see, and so he ended up climbing up a sycamore tree. Now, sycamore trees back then were not sick, like sycamore trees we have here in Kansas, okay? They were, sycamore trees were more like trees that were easily climbable for little men like Zacchaeus, but Zacchaeus was determined that he was going to do what? He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to get close to Jesus, and so Zacchaeus climbs this tree. Jesus walks by, looks up, says, Zacchaeus, get off the tree. We're going to go hang out tonight. That's my translation, not the one Reuben read, but we're going to go hang out tonight, and we're going to spend some time getting to know each other. Why? Because Zacchaeus, Jesus, when he saw people, He always saw people through the proper lens. And what I would love to do is I want to give, in just a moment, Jason's going to share, but I want to look at three perspectives from the story of Zacchaeus. 
Because I think from these three perspectives, you and I can probably relate to some of these perspectives when we think about the people around us. The first perspective is Zacchaeus from the perspective of the crowd. Again, the crowd hated Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was not well-liked. And so when the crowd saw Zacchaeus there, they were not happy to see him. It also might be why Zacchaeus climbed a tree, because there was nobody in the crowd that wanted to allow Zacchaeus to get close to Jesus. But from the crowd's perspective... Zacchaeus, because of his shortcomings, because of not literally in height, but also his shortcomings in the way he treated people, nobody wanted to be around him. But just as the crowd saw Zacchaeus' shortcomings, I think you and I also, when we live our lives and we think about the people we interact with, we also need to recognize our own shortcomings. We all have logs in our eyes. We're all quick to judge. And yet when we can acknowledge the fact that we are broken people, when we can acknowledge the fact that just like Zacchaeus, we make mistakes, it might help us have a little bit better perspective when the crowd around us can be not so ruly. You see, from the crowd's perspective, they were asking the question, why in the world is this guy here? Another perspective from this story that I think is interesting is the perspective of Zacchaeus on himself. You know, Zacchaeus knew himself better than anybody, right? Like Zacchaeus knew what a messed up person he was. Zacchaeus probably was filled, maybe if he was honest, with a lot of guilt and shame for the things he had done to people, for the ways he had treated people. It's very possible that Zacchaeus did not think of himself too highly. But again, he had sold himself out, and he was focused on one thing, and that was to make as much money off of as many many people as possible. But it's also possible that Zacchaeus was looking for meaning in life because I believe that every one of us in this world was created to find meaning in life through Jesus. Like every one of us, you and every person you'll ever interact with was made and created in the image of God to have a relationship with God. And that was also Zacchaeus. So in the midst of probably the guilt and shame that Zacchaeus was feeling, my guess is that his perspective also was a little bit introspective. He probably knew the stories of Jesus. He probably had heard about the ways that he had treated people that were maybe like Zacchaeus and wondered, I wonder if those stories are true. And so he climbed a tree because he wanted to see, get a perspective of Jesus. But then the third perspective is also important to look at, and that's the perspective of Zacchaeus from the eyes and perspective of Jesus. You see, Jesus knew that the crowd would judge Zacchaeus severely. Jesus knew all about Zacchaeus' past, and yet Zacchaeus wanted, or I'm sorry, Jesus wanted to have a relationship with Zacchaeus. Jesus wanted to pursue Zacchaeus. You see, from Jesus' perspective, no one is beyond his love, even people like Zacchaeus. You see, it seems clear that Jesus knew that Zacchaeus had a better present and a better future in his life. And I think the perspective that Jesus has in this text can be a great reminder to all of us. There are people that push all of our buttons. There are people that sometimes um, get under our skin, if we're being honest. There are people that we might even say that we hate. And yet the reminder that Jesus is the example that we need to follow. And the reminder of how Jesus treated Zacchaeus, this person who had done all these things intentionally to hurt people, yet Jesus pursued him no matter what, is a wonderful, wonderful perspective. So let me ask you this question from these three perspectives. 
Which of these three perspectives can you most relate to? The crowd, Zacchaeus, or Jesus? Or maybe another question would be, which of these three perspectives, which of these three groups of people made the most difference in Zacchaeus' life? Now, I know the answer is obvious when, we, when, when I ask that question, but I want to ask the question, why? Like, why? Like, why was it that Jesus made the difference in Zacchaeus' life? Why was it? And I'm convinced that it's because Jesus saw Zacchaeus with, from the right perspective and through the right eyes. Jason's going to share with us a, a story about, uh, from Acts chapter 3 about after Jesus has left and about some of the lessons that we can learn from there. Hey, give Nate a round of applause really quick. Good job, Nate. He's going to come back up here in just a few minutes. By the way, uh, yesterday was Nate's birthday. There we go. So wish Nate, Nate a happy birthday. So uh, another question I'd love to, to ask you and for you just to ponder deep down your, your heart and your mind and your soul is, have you ever found yourself in an unexpected place, but you knew you were there for a reason? Like deep down in your gut, you knew like, man, I'm, I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to talk to that person. I'm, and I'm not sure why. There is this beautiful moment that um, in the book of Acts where Andrew just read uh, just a few minutes ago where uh, Two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, who followed in the way of Jesus, who saw Jesus um, in his ministry, serve, love, and, and saw people. And there's this moment where Peter and John find themselves in an unexpected place, and they knew why they were there for this particular reason. So it says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple to the time of prayer. It says at three in the afternoon, which would have been common practice uh, for Jews of that day, devoted Jews of that day, to go and pray at three in the afternoon. In fact, they probably would have actually prayed earlier in the day, and then they would have gone later in the day uh, to pray as well. One thing to note uh, is that it says three in the afternoon, um, which uh, just if you would hold on for a second to note that it wasn't at night. It wasn't, in the, it wasn't like uh, when the sun was just kind of getting up. It was, it was in the middle um, of the day, which means that everybody was visible. So just hold on to that just for a second. And so it says that now a man who was uh, lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was there to, be, um, uh, to beg every day from those entering uh, into the temple courts. Now, one of the things I love about this text is we don't know how he got there. It doesn't say who brought him there, but it says that he was brought there every single day. Perhaps it was a neighbor, maybe it was a family member, maybe it was a member of the tribe or in that community. All we know is that he was physically, I'll bet, uh, emotionally, mentally, relationally, and spiritually carried every day because he had no ability to walk and he was there to beg. Now, this gate called Beautiful uh, I'm going to nerd out just for a second, if you, if you would just uh, allow me to, uh, was the most pristine gate you've ever seen. The gate was curated with crystals, gems, Corinthian silver, melted together to create this beautiful work of art. And this was the gate that the community would pass by and pass through in order to, be, uh, to go into the temple to be in God's presence. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for, for money, now, these are two disheveled uh, disciples of Jesus, right? So, so the man asks them for money. And, uh, and, he, and he, whether they will be rich or poor, this man's going to beg um, for those that are entering to the temple. So Peter looks straight at him, as did John, and Peter yells at the guy. He says, look at us. 
So the man gave him his attention. I mean, you would too, right? If you were, if you were being yelled at and then someone said, hey, look at us. I mean, you would probably be, you know, giving your attention to them as well. And then Peter, and so then Peter says this. He looks him straight in the eye. He says, hey, silver or gold, I don't have, but what I give you, what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then he does the unthinkable. Peter not only speaks to the man, but he actually extends his hand to him. So the man asks for money, and Peter flips the script completely upside down. Sound like Jesus? So Peter offers him a whole new life. The man asks for money, and Peter offers him a whole new life. He actually gives him something that he not only... uh, later on figures out he needs, but actually, it's actually the thing he really desperately wants. So something worth noting, by the way, um, is, that, uh, is that Peter says, we don't have silver or gold, which would have been common coins, by the way, offered to those begging, primarily from the religious elite, to say, hey, look at me, I, I, I have money, I have silver or gold, and look at me, I'm going to give away my silver or gold to those. And Peter Uh, gives this man something much greater, something worth far more than monetary comfort. He gives him Jesus. And taking him by the right hand, he actually helps him up. And it says, instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And it says he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Peter offers the man his right hand, which would have been culturally relevant and a perfect model to how Jesus extends his hands to us as he sits by the right hand of the Father. And the scripture tells us this man's body becomes fully healed. That for the first time ever, he jumped and he walked. Because why is that that so amazing? Because he was never able to do that before. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. So the same man who went from begging a lowly position, a position to one who was this also discarded and who was disconnected and disgraced became restored and reunited back with the community of faith. And he was ecstatic, as you can imagine. Walking for the first time, praising God and yelling, and when all the people saw him walking up and they, they, they heard the, the noises and they, they saw, they whoa, 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 wait, 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 I recognize you. You're the guy that's always by the gate of beautiful. And as they got closer, can you imagine the goosebumps maybe all, all those people were feeling and experiencing? And as he approaches, the scripture tells us, I love this. It says that they were filled with wonder and amazement. Some translations say that uh, they were filled with wonder and awe at what had happened to him. That truly is an amazing moment. Amen? See, if we allow him to, Jesus will change how we see others. And for Peter and John, it was just that. They saw that this man as, they saw this man as Christ would want them to see him with purpose and worth. See, when we see people as Jesus sees them and understand that all people were created in the image of God, then we'll look at people with a different perspective. 
And Peter and John saw this model time and time and time again as they followed in the way of Jesus. So here's three questions we'd love for you to, to like really hold on to as you leave here. Three questions to help us to see people the way Jesus sees them. First question is this, who's your one? So this is a student ministries campaign that we've been rolling out for the last several months. Um, and it's one that we want to offer and invite you to consider. This question, though seems simple, is actually very complex. And here's why. Because we have encouraged our students, and now we're encouraging you to consider who's one person that you can be praying for, who's one person you can be, you can be inviting, and who's one person you can be connecting with. As you look to the empty seat, to your left, to your right, perhaps in front of you or even behind you, who's one person, who's one family, who should be sitting there? Someone who you can be praying for, connecting with and inviting to be a part of what, what God is doing here at Hillcrest. How we view others, this goes for those that are hard for us to look at or to look for, those that are uh, those that maybe uh, we, we look down upon. Could be friends. It could be new or old friends. Uh, how we engage in relationships, how we deal with difficult people, how we approach people who've hurt us. See, Jesus wants us to see others as he sees others simply by doing a simple step, which is just to look. We have to be willing to look like Peter and John did at the man. And when we look for people, we'll seek to engage them differently with a greater purpose and intentionality. See, Peter and John were part of a group commissioned to see others, to build relationships, and to tell others about Christ. They had people that walked with them, kept them accountable, they learned from each other, and they cared for one another. See, for this man begging, he probably felt isolated, he probably felt alone, he probably felt numb. He didn't have people in his life who looked at him, who offered him a hand, spoke truth to him. And I wonder for how many of us in the room or online, we feel like this all the time. Or maybe we know people that are like that. Who's your one? The second question for us to ask as, as we are answering the question today of how can we see people the way Jesus sees them it's similar to Jason's first question with a little nuance to it, and it's this. Who in your life needs you to stop and notice them? Who in your life needs you to stop and notice them? And I say that, I say that because, again, we all have people in our lives, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's in the activities we participate in, whether it's just walking down the street, whatever. Like, there are people in our lives that I believe that God wants us to stop and notice them. Not because it's all about us, but because God wants to use us. When you and I say yes to following Jesus, we also say yes to stopping and noticing people that God puts on our heart. You see, there are people around us every single day that God wants us to stop and be personable enough with to notice things about them to help someone in need, to encourage someone that needs encouragement. You know, simple things like knowing someone's name, remembering details about their life, being someone who can be counted on, speaking words of encouragement to someone that might be incapable of feeling those words. 
You know, things like that are things that God uses when we stop and we notice people. You've heard me say this before, um, probably a lot of times. I remember the first day I started at Hillcrest, Garth Bullender, the pastor, the lead pastor here, stopped at me. And he says, hey, Nate, I want you to know something. We walk the halls slowly here at Hillcrest. What would our lives look like if we walked slowly, if we stopped and we noticed the people around us? Imagine the worth and the life that it spoke into Zacchaeus when Jesus stopped and he noticed him. Again, of all the people that Zacchaeus thought, you know, like that day that would stop and notice him, Jesus was probably last on the list. Or maybe he was first. I I, I really don't know. But my guess is that the crowd was surprised and maybe even Zacchaeus was surprised because of who he was in his past. But if you never stop, you're never going to know, right? Think about that. If you never stop, you'll never know. And Jesus in Scripture, we see all sorts of examples of ways and times that he stopped. There were moments when he stopped and he broke the rules to heal people. There are examples of how Jesus stopped and he touched the untouchables. There are moments where Jesus stopped and he spoke in an honoring way to a scandalous woman. There are times in scripture where we see that Jesus stopped and he ugly cried at the grave of a close friend. There are moments where Jesus stopped and he met important officials in the middle of the night. There are times when Jesus stopped and he washed his disciples' feet. There are times when Jesus stopped and he listened to his mom at a party. There are times when Jesus stopped and he called out the religious who were being clueless. There were times when Jesus stopped and he cared for a thief who was about to die. There were times when Jesus stopped and he told his followers, his closest followers, to be like these little kids. And there were times that Jesus stopped and he treated everyone as if they were made in the image of God. Who in your life needs you to stop and notice them? So our last question is, in what ways are you making Jesus known with your words and your actions? To those around you, maybe it's classmates, coworkers, teammates, or maybe even fellow uh, family members. See, the reality is, is uh, and I'm convinced as well, uh, that there are people in our lives who don't know Jesus. There are spaces that you occupy where I'm convinced that, that they don't know Jesus. So in what, in what ways are you making Jesus known with your words and your actions? The reality is, is we all need people. And actually, research tells us that if we have five or more Christ-centered, trusted, loving adults in our lives, we are more fulfilled, more likely to stay true to our faith, to be kept accountable, and ultimately likely to have lifelong faith if we have people in our lives that are pointing us to Jesus. This man was restored back into the community of faith. He wasn't just surrounded by Peter and John, but the community rejoiced. They were present, were there with him, and probably from that day forward, walked alongside him, taught him, and loved him. We need people And perhaps we can be those people to others too. So what about you? I've been privileged to have some incredible men and women in my life who've helped me, mentored me, guided me, and loved me. And Peter and John, they got it. They understood uh, what this meant. They understood that, that all of us, with all our brokenness, some more visible than others, need to be restored back to Jesus. We need others. We need a community and family to come, alongside us, to come alongside us, to help us, to protect us, to teach us, to fight for us. 
to go through life with us, to walk with us through the good and the not so good. So are we making Jesus known by our words and our actions, or are they doing something else entirely? Uh, thank you for joining us. If you are a guest with us, by the way, we'd love to say hi to you at the uh, uh, Connect with Hillcrest uh, wall. Um, so join us after the service, um, and uh, we'd love to uh, chit-chat with you. Um, so now for our, uh, our benediction. As we pursue new life together in Jesus. Uh, actually, would you mind standing? Um, as we pursue new life together in Jesus, may those whom we come in contact with understand that they belong to God, that they're seen, known, and loved by God. So would you raise your hand uh, as though you are catching this benediction and you're going to take it with you out into the world. This is from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Go in peace. Go Chiefs. Go Chiefs.